0: وَأَشْهَدُ أَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا عَبَدُهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَمَّا So we are on the chapter of tayammum. We just began speaking about the topic of tayammum last time. Today before we begin just to let everyone know that you will need to focus more than usual. You will need to focus today more than usual because usually in the lectures I do some of the work. But today Everybody has to focus and do it themselves. I have a slight issue with my throat, so I will not be able to deliver the lecture with the normal type of passion you may have become used to. Cannot really raise my voice today, cannot speak as usual, so everybody will need to focus carefully. And keep their minds on the subject and what is being mentioned. So we began last time on the, on the chapter of Tayammum and we covered the first hadith, that first hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah radiAllahu anhuma where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had said I have been given five things that no one was given before me that I have been given this this aid from Allah that the enemies are afraid from the distance of a month away, fear strikes their hearts already. وَجُعِلَتْ لِيَ الْأَرْضُ مَسْجِدًا And all of the ground, all of the earth, has been made for me a mosque and pure. فَأَيُّمَا رَجُلٍ أَدْرَكَتْهُ الصَّلَهُ فَلْيُصَلِّ. So whomsoever finds that the prayer is upon him, then let him pray. Meaning that hadith was an evidence that the ground, all of it, the earth, the road, the field, all of it outside, it is permissible to pray. It is considered pure and permissible to pray upon it. The pavement, the road, the field, All of the land. And the point of that hadith was that if all of the land is pure for the prayer to be prayed upon, then that same land, that same ground is also pure to make tayammum with, if it is pure, to pray upon, then that is an indication that it is all pure to make tayammum with. So today we come to the second hadith onwards. The second hadith is the hadith <coughs> of Hudayfa in Sahih Muslim. Muslim. وَجُعِلَتْ لَنَا تُرْبَتُهَا طَهُورًا إِذَا In fact, we mentioned this the last time. وَجُعِلَ This narration goes with the first one, that the ground, all of the ground, has been made pure and purifying. So, if you do not find water, then you can use that. It is usable to make the tayammum if you do not find water. And you remember the scholars did have a discussion regarding what type of ground can be used for tayammum. Some of the scholars, they said, it is only the, the soily type of ground and others, they said any type of ground, even if it is sand or pebble, kind of any type of ground and land, you can use it to make tayammum. And we're going to discuss that today as well, again. So the hadith that we are actually on now is the hadith of Ammar ibn Yasir, radiyallahu anhumah. He said بعثني النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في حاجة فاجتنبت فلم أجد الماء فتمرغت في السعيد كما تمرغ الدابة ثم أتيت النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فذكرت له ذلك فقال إنما كان يكفيك أن تقول بيديك هكذا ثم ضرب بيديه الأرض ضربة واحدة ثم مسح الشمال على اليمين وظاهر كفيه ووجهه متفق عليه in this hadith, Ammar ibn Yasir is the individual, the companion involved in this hadith. Ammar ibn Yasir, his kunya was Abu Al-Yaqavan. And he was from the first of the Muslims in Islam. From the first of the Muslims who entered into Islam, Ammar ibn Yasir. And he was tortured by the mushrikun. He faced severe punishment and torture from the mushrikun. Until it is mentioned that his mother Sumayyah died from that torture that they faced. And so it is mentioned that his mother Sumayyah was the first martyr in Islam. That she died as a consequence of the torture that she faced. And Ammar ibn Yasir, he witnessed all of the events in Islamic history, all of those battles that occurred, all of the other events with the Prophet wasallam, until he himself was martyred in the end. So he says, Ammar ibn Yasir says that one, <coughs> one time the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sent him on some type of errand, some type of a mission. One time he was sent by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to go traveling somewhere to do some errand or some mission that the messenger had sent him on. So he went, and it was somewhere distant, he traveled, and when he was out there, and this was a journey of some days and nights, when he was out there, and, and you know in those days when they went traveling, at night time you just camp up wherever you are, And sleep. And then in the morning you continue your journey. At night you camp up wherever you are. So he was out. Sent by the messenger to do some job that he had been sent to do. He says, when he was out on the journey, one night he had a wet dream. And so he became into the state of Having the janabah, he was upon janabah, the major impurity. He was upon the major impurity. However, he did not have enough water with him to make ghusl. Because in those days, when they used to go traveling like that, into some distant place, maybe weeks even it could be, they would obviously pack up their provisions. They would pack up what they needed and put it onto their donkeys or carry it themselves. And the amount of water that they would carry with them was minimal. Because of the weight of water, you cannot carry barrels of water with you going out on these journeys. They would carry a minimal amount of water, just enough to get by. Just enough to be able to drink and maybe use in cooking and things when they are out there. They certainly didn't have enough to be able to do a ghusl. So when he realized that he was in a state of Janaba And he realized that he doesn't have enough water to make the ghusl with. So then what did he do? He did the tayammum. However, he was not aware of how you do tayammum for the state of janaba. So he assumed or he made his ijtihad that usually when you do ghusl as we've covered the water has to cover all of your body. When doing the ghusl the water has to cover all of your body. So he made ijtihad that When making tayammum, perhaps the soil has to cover all of your body. And so when he was performing his tayammum, he rolled around in the ground. It mentions in the hadith, he rolled around in the ground to get that dust and the soil and ground all Over his body, he rolled around in the ground, this side and that side and flipping from one side of his body to the other side of his body on the ground to make sure that the soil, the ground, it got all over his body. That's what he did. He says, فَتَمَرَّغْتُ that I rolled around in that ground as an animal does when you see some of the animals and they are rolling around in the in the the desert or the sand or the soil, he said, I rolled around like that like the animals would do so, and so Ammar knew that in the absence of water he could make tayammum. He didn't know how though. So he made ijtihad that the tayammum must be equivalent to the water ghusl which is to cover all of the (coughs) body. And so essentially what he did there as sheik Al-Fawzan mentions here is Al-Qiyas. And what is Al-Qiyas? You hear about Qiyas. This word is used particularly in Fiqh. So what does it mean to make Qiyas? Anybody? Mm -hmm. So those kinds of answers are along the right lines. It's an analogy. But uh, Qiyas, and you hear about it all the time, Qiyas. The scholars made Qiyas. Such and such made Qiyas, analogy. It is broken down into four simple points. If you wish to understand the definition of Qiyas, what is Qiyas, how does Qiyas work, there are four basic points for Qiyas to work. You have to have an Asal. The Asal is an item or a ruling that is derived clear from the Qur'an, the Sunnah, or consensus of the scholars, something with a clear ruling on it, established ruling on it, from the Qur'an and the Sunnah, or even consensus of the scholars, that is the asal, the origin. Something with a clear hukum, with evidence upon it. The second thing you have is the fara'. The fara' is the subsidiary or the secondary item. The secondary item is the one that you do not have a clear ruling on from the Quran or the Sunnah or the consensus of the scholars. So the asal is something you have a clear ruling on with an evidence from the Qur'an or the sunnah or the consensus of the scholars. The secondary item, the fara' is something that you do not have a clear ruling on from the Qur'an or sunnah or consensus. The third thing that you need is al-illah, al-illah, al-jami'ah, some type of reasoning that applies to the asal and the faraq. Some type of reasoning or logic that applies to the asal, which had clear evidence upon it, and applies to the far'ah, the secondary affair that didn't have clear evidence upon it. So you need some common denominator between those two, the asal and the far'ah. That is the illah. And the fourth thing is al-hukam, the ruling. Those are the four components of tias. An example to elaborate on those four components: <coughs> alcohol. What is the ruling on alcohol? Haram. But is that an asl or a far? Far. Asl. We have clear evidence from the Qur'an and the Sunnah that alcohol is haram in the Qur'an. إِنَّمَا الْمَيْسَرُ Clear ayah in the Qur'an mentioning Al-Khamr is rijs min عَمَلِ shaitan. Clear ayah and other evidences. So we have clear evidence that alcohol is haram. Clear evidence on that. So that is an asal. Cocaine and heroin and all these types of class A drugs as they call them, are they mentioned in the Quran in any ayah? Are they mentioned in any hadith? Cocaine, heroin, are these... Drugs mentioned in the Quran and the Sunnah. Nowhere. Those names are not known in the Quran and the Sunnah. Cocaine, heroin, whichever types they are. So now this is something that we do not have a direct, clear ruling on or evidence on from the Quran and the Sunnah. So it is the far'ah. The far'ah is basically therefore something that doesn't have a clear evidence upon it from the Quran and the Sunnah, so it is therefore something you are trying to find out the ruling upon. The asal, are you trying to find out the ruling on the asal? That's already there in the ayat, in the hadith clear. The fara' is what you're trying to find the ruling upon, because it doesn't have a clear ayah or hadith or consensus upon it, like cocaine or heroin. It's not in the Qur'an. It's not in the sunnah. No scholars in the past, the salaf ever talked about cocaine, heroin. So it's a farah. What is the third part, which was the illah? What is the common denominator between them? They both intoxicate They are both intoxicants. We know that alcohol is impermissible because one of the reasons, because it is an intoxicant. So we know that alcohol is impermissible because it takes away your mind, it makes you drunk, which is what the word khamar in Arabic actually means. Khamar in Arabic means to cover something up. Kha, Mim, Ra in the Arabic language, they are the root letters indicating covering something up. at And that's why the khimar is known as a khimar because it covers up the woman. The khimar that the women wear, khamimra, khimar, it covers up the woman. khamar covers up alcohol, covers up what? Your mind, alcohol covers up your mind, because when you drink alcohol, it overwhelms your mind, you are drunk, you are intoxicated. So we know one of the reasons why it is forbidden is because it is an intoxicant and there are other ahadith that mention that too about the issue of intoxication. Cocaine and all these other types of heavy drugs, when you take them, do they take away your mind or not? They do. So their effect is resemblant of the effect of alcohol. So we have a common denominator between all these heavy drugs and alcohol, that they both do the same thing. They have this impact of intoxication on the mind of a person. So there's a common denominator that matches perfectly. If that common denominator matches perfectly between the two of them, we can therefore deduce that the ruling of the fara' must be the same as the ruling of the asal, because that common denominator sticks to them both. And so the hukum in the end you can deduce by qiyas, is that cocaine and heroin and all these heavy drugs are haram. Somebody says to you, where's the ayah saying cocaine is haram or heroin is haram? Where's the hadith? Where's the statements of the salaf? Of course there are none. But then you clarify to them the principles of the religion. That principally speaking now upon qiyas, it is clear for us to understand that these drugs Islamically would be considered haram. That is the basis of qiyas. An asal, a fara', an illah, the common denominator, the reasoning between them both, and then <coughs> a ḥukm, a ruling which then applies to the fara', just as it applied to the asal, because they both have that common denominator between them, the same reasoning behind them the point here was as Sheikh al-Fawzan said it is as though Ammar ibn Yasir used Qiyas he thought to himself the asal of ghusl is that the water must cover all of the body that is the asal that is the hukum. that is established that he knew so now the fara' be uh, tayammum how do you do the ghusl with tayammum so now he's making the qiyas that the common denominator the reasoning or, or how it's done balanced up one to the other should be the same ruling the same hukum, because ultimately he is in need of purification ghusl gives you purification by covering all of the body with water Tayammum gives you purification then upon that judgment by getting soil and covering all of your body. That's what he assumed. That's the ijtihad that he made. So he rolled around in the soil, covered all of his body with that soil. And then after that journey was finished, after that trip was finished, he had done whatever the messenger had sent him to do, finished his traveling and came back, he came to the Prophet wasallam and told him what he did. Told him that whilst I was out on the trip, on the journey, I had a wet dream. And so I made tayammum in this method. Rolling around and getting it all over my body. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, إِنَّمَا كَانَ يَكْفِيكَ أَن تَقُولَ بِيَدَيْكَ هَكَذَا The Messenger said to him, It would have been enough for you to have done this with your hands. Messenger showed him physically. Showed him physically the normal tayammum, just the hands and then the face. He said to him, it would have been enough if you just did this. That would have been enough. No need for all of the rest of your body with the soil. If you had just done this with your hands, it would have been enough. Lo uh, In the narration, إِنَّمَا كَانَ يَكْفِيكَ It would have been enough for you. And تَقُولَ قَالَ يَقُولُ In Arabic, here it does not mean to say. The other meaning of قَالَ يَقُولُ is فَعَلَ يَفْعَلُ So it's like saying, إِنَّمَا كَانَ يَكْفِيكَ أَن تَفْعَلَ بِيَدَيْكَ But the word here is تَقُول and it can be used like that. So, إِنَّمَا كَانَ يَكْفِيكَ أَنْ تَقُولَ بِيَدَيْكَ هَكَذَا It would have been sufficient for you to have done this with your hands. And then the messenger struck the ground and rubbed his left one on the right one. And then his face, to show him that even the tayammum from Janaba is still the same as the normal tayammum. The tayammum from janabah is the normal tayammum that you would do. And there is no requirement to cover all of the body. And in those narrations here it says, وَضَرَبَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ turab التُرَابِ that The messenger struck the soil, the ground with his hands. ثُمَّ مَسَحَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ الشِّمَالَ عَلَى الْيَمِينِ AND THEN THE LEFT HAND HE RUBBED IT ONTO THE RIGHT وَظَاهِرَ كَفَّيْهِ ONTO THE HANDS AROUND THE HANDS AND THEN مَسَحَ وَجْهَهُ HE WIPED HIS FACE IN THE OTHER NARRATION ضَرَبَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ التُّرَابَ ثُمَّ نَفَخَ فِي يَدَيْهِ ثُمَّ مَسَحَ بِهِمَا وَجْهَهُ وَكَفَّيْهِ That the messenger struck the ground, then blew into his hands, and then uh, wiped his face, and then his hands. So these two narrations are talking about how the messenger explained to him the normal tayammum for janaba is applicable. However, something you notice in these narrations is that in the first version, Masaha sallallahu alayhi wa sallam al-shimal ala al-yameen wa-vahira kafehi wa-masaha wajhahu. That he did his hands first, then his face. And in the other narration, نَفَخَ فِي يَدَيْهِ ثُمَّ That he blew into them and then wiped his face, then hands. So which way round are you supposed to do tayammum? Is it the hands first, then the face? Or is it the face, then the hands? Two narrations there. One saying one way, the other one saying the other way. As Sheikh al-Fawzan says that these two narrations, one of them indicates an order, a particular order to do things in, the other one does not. And that is down to the Arabic language. One of them has Wow in it. Wa. Harf al-Atf. The wow. That by default does not necessitate an order. If I say Muhammad and Khalid came into the mosque. Which one of them came in first? Muhammad and Khalid came into the mosque which one of them came in first purely upon that sentence it is unknown because the word and in the arabic language anyway specifically does not indicate an order to things dakhala muhammadun wa khalidun al doesn't necessitate Muhammad was first and Khalid came after, or Khalid walked in first and Muhammad behind him. The word and doesn't necessitate that in the Arabic language. It just necessitates joining those two things together, that Muhammad and Khalid, the both of them, did indeed walk into the mosque. But which one came in first and which one after, that is not indicated by the word wa in the Arabic language. Whereas the word thumma, which is in the second version here, thumma, that is a type of atf, which does necessitate a tartib. It indicates something occurring in a particular order. So if I say Muhammad, then Khalid came into the mosque. So now which one came in first and which one came in second? Now it's clear. Muhammad, then Khalid, walked into the mosque. Now it's clear. Muhammad was the first one to walk in. Then Khalid came in afterwards. So the narration that men... The narration here, one of them has a wow in it, the other one has thumma in it. And as a consequence, the one with the thumma is the one that has to be used to indicate which order things are done in. So the sheikh says, ظاهر الحديث أنه يبدأ بمسح الكفين ويكون مسح الوجه لكن الرواية التي بعده بالعكس فهي تدل على أنه يمسح وجهه أولا ثم يمسح كفيه وهذا هو الترتيب of إنما هي لمطلق الجمع وإنما الذي يفيد الترتيب ثم فلو أنه قال مسح كفيه ثم وجهه لصار ترتيب صريحا فَيَكُونُ الْمَعْنَىٰ وَاللَّهُ أَنَّهُ بِيَدَيْهِ ثُمَّ مَسَحَ وَجْهَهُ ثُمَّ So what is apparent then is that you strike the ground and then wipe your face first. Then after that, the hands. That is what would be indicated by the narration that has an indication of an order with the word thumma so what are the benefits from this narration number 1 that the companions they used ijtihad in the absence of the prophet sallallahu they used ijtihad in the absence of the prophet sallallahu and they would then go and ask him and there is an example well in this example here the prophet sallallahu did not tell ammar ibn yasir that he has to repeat his prayer He did not tell him to repeat his prayer. His ijtihad was valid. It was okay. His prayer as he did his tayammum the way he did it, his prayer was valid. Even though the messenger then explained to him there was no need for that. And that is not the way of the sunnah. It is enough just to do the face and the hands. Secondly, We understand therefore it is the face first, then the hands. Thirdly, from this narration of the messenger when he showed him how to do it, how many times did he strike the ground? Only once. Because that's another issue. Are you supposed to strike the ground, do your face, then Strike the ground to do your hands? Or do you strike the ground, do your face and hands all in one go? In this narration, it seems to indicate that it's all done in one go. And in some of the explanations and versions, it mentions that the messenger struck the ground, his fingers he used for his face, And his palms, whatever dust or soil was still on them, he used for his hands. All of the soil or whatever is on your fingers from the ground, the fingers on the face, and then the palms for the hands. That is mentioned in some of the explanations. But the point being, whichever way it is, that it was only once that the ground was struck. That is what this narration indicates. Also, it's not like wudu. So a person when he does the hands, you don't go up to the elbows, it is only up to the wrists. Just the actual hands are done in the tayammum. Also, في الحديث دليل على أن الجاهل في الحكم إذا صلى باجتهاده لا يعيد الصلاة. But if somebody who is ignorant of the ruling makes a genuine ijtihad as Ammar did there, then you're not commanded to repeat the prayer in that type of instance. And it's the same example of al-musi'u fi salatih, the one who was bad in his prayer, the famous hadith when the messenger was sitting in the mosque, A person walked in and prayed and the messenger saw him praying. And when the man finished, he went over to the messenger to give salam. And the messenger said to him, Go back and pray again. You didn't pray. So the man went back and prayed again and the messenger saw him praying. And then he came back again to give salam. The messenger said to him, go back and pray. You didn't pray. And the man did it twice, three times until eventually the man said to the messenger, I don't know how to pray in any other way than this way that I pray. So then the messenger explained to him how to pray properly because he was praying wrong. But after the third time, after the third time when the man came to give salam and the messenger still said to him, go pray, you haven't prayed. And he said, but that's all I know. Then the messenger explained to him how to pray properly. Did the messenger say to him, Now that I've explained to you, go and pray properly now then. The man was not actually ordered to go and pray again after that. Meaning his prayer was considered valid. He wasn't then ordered afterwards, once the messenger had explained to him, to now, go now, now that you've been explained, you've now understood, now go pray properly. He wasn't told that. So the point is, the shaykh is saying if somebody is in that type of situation, they make their best ishtihad upon their knowledge and they pray, and they realize it was a mistake afterwards or they learn more knowledge afterwards, you wouldn't say to the person, you've got to go back and repeat those prayers now. Also, the hadith highlights how the messenger taught the companions with examples. Here, the messenger physically showed him with his hands how to do that tayammum, and that is from the methods of teaching. The next narration of Ibn Umar, radiallahu ta'ala anhuma, qala rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi wa at فَتَيَمُّمُ ضَرْبَتَان ضَرْبَةٌ لِلْوَجْهِ وَضَرْبَةٌ لِلْيَدَيْنِ إِلَى الْمِرْفَقَيْنِ This narration of Abdullah ibn Umar ibn al-Khattab رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمَا He says that for tayammum This is Abdullah ibn Umar ibn al-Khattab He says فُتَيَمُّمُ Or that the Messenger said, For tayammum, you have to strike the ground twice. Once for the face, and once for the hands, up to the elbows. That's what this narration says. Abdullah ibn Umar ibn al-Khattab, saying that the Prophet said, For tayammum, you have to strike the ground twice. Once for the face, once for the hands. That goes up to the elbows. So here, this goes against the previous narration that said it was only one striking of the ground. And that narration that mentioned it is only one striking of the ground is more authentic. That is much more authentic. And this particular narration, many of the scholars they say, it is mawquf Meaning that this was the statement of Abdullah ibn Umar, not a hadith of the Prophet wasallam saying that. And so in that kind of instance, of course you must give precedence to the actual hadith. And that was the previous one that said, you only strike the ground once, and that you only wipe up to the wrists. That is going to be the practice that is implemented as for this narration, then it is considered mawqof, but it is the statement of Abdullah ibn Umar himself. The next narrations <coughs> of Abu Hurairah, رضي الله عنه قال, قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم, as-sa'eedu wadhu'ul muslimi wa illam lam yajidil ma'a aashara sinin fa idha wajadal ma'a fal yattaqillah wal yumissahu bi basaratahu This narration says Abu Hurairah mentions that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that the ground the soil, it is considered as the purification for you, your wudu is done via it, meaning tayammum. It can be done even if you don't find water for ten years, the narration says. Even if you don't find water for ten years, you can carry on making tayammum. And when you do find water, the narration says when you do find water eventually then fear Allah and put that water on your skin meaning make the full wudu so the narration is highlighting that there is no time limit to tayammum But as long as you have no water available, you can carry on making tayammum. Ten years is obviously not a specified number. That is just an example, even if it was ten years. Meaning that even if it was a long time, it doesn't mean exactly ten years, it doesn't mean if you got to your eleventh year, now it's haram. That is only a figure of speech. Meaning a long time, if you don't find water, you can carry on making tayammum. But then the narration does say, that once you do find water, then you must make wudu. That your tayammum is no longer valid. And it is no longer uh, permissible to use your tayammum for your prayers You've got to make wudu properly as soon as you find water. That's what the narration says. That would seem to indicate what? We discussed it a couple of uh, lessons back. Remember that one of the main issues in the topic of tayammum is, is tayammum equal to wudu? Or is it only a Temporary measure until water is found. That's one of the main discussions here. Because if you say tayammum is equivalent to wudu, with water, proper wudu, then when you make tayammum, you are exactly the same as somebody who is upon wudu from water. <coughs> somebody who's <coughs> who is upon wudu from water, can pray his prayer, he can pray the next prayer, the next prayer, he can carry on, he's upon a state of wudu. And the one upon tayammum would have exactly the same rulings applicable to him. If you say tayammum is equivalent to wudu. But the other opinion that this hadith seems to indicate is that tayammum is only a temporary measure, not equivalent to Wudu. Meaning it only covers you temporarily up until water is found or water can be used. And when water is found and it can be used, then immediately at that point now, When the water is there and available, your tayammum is no longer valid because now you have to go and do the full and actual wudu because water is there. Based upon that opinion, well, there's a narration coming up as well. There's a narration coming up as well, uh, which is regarding... Imagine now you make tayammum, it's dhuhr time and you cannot find water, you're out in the wilderness and you make tayammum and pray. 20 minutes later as you're walking through the wilderness, you suddenly come across water and it's still within the time of dhuhr. So now do you have to make the wudu with the water and repeat your dhuhr or not? So that's gonna come up now in this narration here. Here uh, Sheikh al-Fawzan, he mentions uh, al <clears> muslim, <throat> that the ground can be used as the tayammum even if a person doesn't find it, water for 10 years and when he does find water then he must fear Allah and use that water and that is upon the opinion that the tayammum is only a temporary measure so the shaykh says الْحَدِيثِ يَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ إِنَّمَا يَقُومُ مَقَامَ الْمَاءِ عِنْدَ عَدَمِ الماء. That tayammum is only valid when there is no water there, or water cannot be used, it's not usable or it's uh, 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 unavailable. وأنه مع وُجُودِ الْمَاءِ لَا يَجُوزُ وَلَا يجزئ. But when you have water available, then tayammum is no longer valid. Tayammum no longer holds its validity in the presence and uh, 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 ability to use water. <clears throat> Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, and, naam, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he takes the opinion that tayammum is equivalent to normal wudu. It is equivalent to it. One of the evidences he uses is that the messenger said, masjidan wa tahura That all of the ground has been made as a mosque for me and pure and purifying. Indicating that the soil gives you purity, puts you into a state of purification, which therefore means it is equivalent to Water that puts you into a state of purification also. And that is the correct opinion insha'Allah. That tayammum is equivalent to wudu. And it puts you in the same state as wudu. But this last narration we look at today is regarding two men. It mentions in the hadith of Abu Sa'id al-Khudri. Radhiallahu anhu qal. Kharaja rajulani fi safar. Two men they went out on a journey. Fahadaratis salah. And the time for the prayer came. Walaysa ma'ahuma ma'ah. And they did not have any water with them. Fatayammama sa'eidan tayyiba. So they made tayammum both of them. Fasallaya and they prayed. Thumma wajada Then after they had prayed, all of a sudden they came across some water. Phil walked. And it was still within the time of the prayer that they had just prayed. The prayer they had just prayed upon Tayammum because they couldn't find water a few minutes afterwards they are walking and they come across some water. And it's still within the time of that prayer. فَعَادَ الصَّلَاةَ وَالْوُضُوءِ One of the two of them made the wudu with the water they now found and repeated his prayer. وَلَمْ يُعِيدِ الْآخَرِ But the other one did not. The other one didn't repeat his prayer. He sufficed with the prayer he had prayed upon the purification of tayammum. Even though water was now available and the prayer time for that prayer was still in, he didn't repeat. But one of them did. Then after that journey, when they came back to Medina, they came to the Prophet ﷺ. And they told him what happened. They told him that situation that happened, and that they couldn't find water, so they made tayammum and they prayed. Then suddenly, straight afterwards, they found water. And it was still that same prayer time yet. So one of them said, I repeated my wudu with the water and prayed again. The other one said, I did not. The messenger said to them, or the messenger said to the one who made his wudu with the water after they found it and repeated his prayer. The messenger said to him, Asabta sunnah. Oh, sorry, no. To the one who didn't pray again. The one who didn't pray again. Correct your notes. The messenger said to the one who didn't repeat his prayer after they found the water, the messenger said to him, أَصَبْتَ That you... Uh, implemented the sunnah. You implemented the sunnah and your prayer counts. It's valid. It's good. The one that he prayed upon his tayammum only. Messenger said, you implemented the sunnah and your prayer counts. As for the one who had made wudu fresh once they found water and repeated his prayer The messenger said to him, لَكَ الْأَجْرُ مَرَّتَيْنَ That you have the reward twice. You have the reward twice because he was the one who repeated his wudu and prayed again. In this narration, when the messenger said to the first one, that you've implemented the sunnah and your prayer is valid. Implemented the sunnah how? Because he implemented the exact rulings that are in the sunnah. You can't find water, you make tayammum and you pray. That's exactly what he did. The fact that they found water afterwards doesn't invalidate his full and proper implementation of the sunnah prior to that. Prior to finding water, he was upon all of the exact implementation of the sunnah. There's no water. Make tayammum, pray. He did all of that. So his prayer is valid. There's nothing wrong with that. He implemented the ayah of the Qur'an. He implemented the ahadith. No water was available he made tayammum and he prayed. So the messenger said, that's enough, your prayer is valid. It's enough, it counts, what you did is valid. That it was not a necessity therefore to have to repeat the prayer with the water wudu afterwards. But the other one who did do that was told that you get twice the reward. Because when he made wudu with the water that they then found And repeated the same prayer again Both of his prayers are valid His first one is valid because at that time there was no water They correctly made tayammum and prayed His first prayer was valid But then he made wudu with water and prayed Wudu with water praying, the prayer is of course valid. So in both of those cases, his prayer was valid. And so the messenger said to him that two rewards are for you. But what we understand from this then is that the messenger said to the first one, "Ajzaat salatuka. Asabta sunnah. That you've implemented the sunnah and your prayer is valid which therefore indicates that the correct method in that kind of scenario is that you don't need to repeat the prayer again. Even if you find the water and it's still time for that prayer. Because the first man was told, who didn't do any of that, you have implemented the sunnah. You have correctly implemented the sunnah. So there is no need to repeat the prayer in that scenario. There's another example of this. I mean, this is a type of ijtihad that the companions made again. An ijtihad in that scenario. And there's the example of when the Prophet ﷺ uh, sent a group of them in the battle of Bani Quraidah in Al-Bukhari. And he said to them, لَا al illa fi Bani Quraidah. None of you pray Asr until you are in Bani Qurayda. You should not pray Asr until you are in Bani Qurayda. So as they were going, they got delayed, and it was taking a while to get there. And the sunset was on the verge of occurring. So some of them said, we have no choice, we have to stop and pray Asr. The time is about to go. Others they said, but the messenger specifically commanded us on this occasion not to pray Asar until we are in Bani Quraidah. So a group of them didn't pray until they got there, until after sunset. So when they came back to the messenger and explained to him, again he highlighted that both of their actions in their own regard, in their own ijtihad were Correct. The first group of them, they said, no, we have to pray now. And they said what the messenger meant was, when he said, don't pray until you get to Bani Quraidah. What he meant by that was, be quick, get there before sunset. That it was a word of encouragement. You should not pray Asar until you get there. Meaning, get there quickly before Asar time finishes. That's your target. But they said, we didn't make the target. And the sun was about to go down, so we had to pray. The messenger said good. The others, they said no, we took it to mean exactly what you said. Do not pray asar on this occasion until you get there. So even if we got there after Maghrib, that's what we did. The messenger said good, okay again. Because in those cases, at that time, they made a genuine ijtihad in those two, in that circumstance. And so neither of those groups, neither the group who prayed en route in time, or the group who prayed once they got there after the time, neither of them were told to repeat the prayer. Neither of them were told to repeat the prayer. So neither of them were wrong in that ishtihad. So, the point in this one here is though, that when these two men, they differed over that scenario, one of them repeated, one of them did not. The conclusion here is that in that type of scenario, you do not need to repeat the prayer. Uh, that is where we'll stop on for today then. <clears throat> Inshallah Ta'ala will continue next time from the next narration. Uh, which continues talking about some of the issues of tayammum and in particular when traveling uh, and also about wiping over uh, the when you break your arm, the cast. Wiping over the cast when you have your arm or your leg to wipe over that and those kinds of affairs. That's the final section on the Teyemum chapter. We'll finish off in the next session. And then after that, uh, since it's here and connected, and it's a topic that is obviously of great uh, uh, relevance for the sisters in particular, but for the men and the husbands, uh, likewise, the topic of menstruation for the women And all of the rulings Islamically connected to that. It is one of the topics that the women have the greatest amount of questions over. And so it's befitting for the husbands to know the answers to those questions too. So that topic of menstruation, covering the various topics within it, the various subjects within it. And uh, the ahadith, they do mention details. They mention details of the different types of blood, the different color of the blood, uh, and various other topics of that nature. And there is no shyness in learning the religion. And the female companions of the Prophet wasallam they used to ask questions regarding this. As you'll see in these hadith, these hadith, many of them are when women sent questions. To the Prophet wasallam and he gave them answers. This is what you do if it is this blood or that blood. How many days? How many days can the period be? What's the minimum? What's the maximum? What about the uh, period that begins and then stops but then begins again? All of the various issues that always come up in that field. So that is what comes up next inshallah ta'ala. We'll cover that. We'll go through those details so they are clear. So that will be in the future lessons inshallah ta'ala. We'll conclude upon that for today then. Rasallallahu Alla Nabiana Muhammad sallam. Any questions or anything to add? No, then in that case if it's a al lil hadith you're pure because uh, the opinion that says it is equivalent they call it rafi'u lil hadith that it has removed your state of impurity, it's gone it has removed your state of impurity, rafi'u lil hadith so that's what they mean your state of impurity it's gone, it's disappeared, there's nothing to wash now there's no other purification to me. it's gone that's what they believe. But the other opinion is they say, no, it hasn't gone anywhere. You are still in that state technically. But this tayammum, it gives you cover, temporary cover to be able to pray until you can find water and then you're going to do the proper removal of that state from yourself. Hmm. Uh, In the narration it doesn't mention but the opinion that is established upon that ruling is that the first one then wouldn't have to use the water to make wudu up until his wudu, his tayammum wudu broke. Because on that opinion, the rafi' lil hadith opinion, when you make tayammum, you are upon wudu. As a normal person is who's made wudu with water. So you don't have to do anything up until your wudu next breaks. Just like a person who's a normal wudu. That's the opinion of رَافِعْ Hadith. Your state of impurity is gone. So now you're just exactly the same as somebody who's made wudu normally. You don't need to use the water up until your wudu breaks. That's on the opinion that it's a temporary cover only. That hadith indicates that opinion. Because the hadith there clearly says, as soon as you find water, you have to use it now. Your tayammum no longer carries you through any longer. That, op- that hadith indicates that opinion. That's why you have these two opinions. Those narrations could possibly indicate either side. <coughs> That's the so the scholars who say because now the scholars who say that you don't have to use the water your tayammum is enough it's equal then how are they going to explain this hadith saying use the water now they say the meaning of that is for your next purification meaning now the next time if your wudu breaks now your tayammum wudu breaks now you can't make tayammum again because now you have Water, so fear Allah and now use water the next time. That's what they, they say it means. Hmm. Anybody else? The same tayammum. Yeah, so on this opinion of Rafi'un Lil Hadith, in fact, on both opinions, if water was not found. At dhuhr time, so you make tayammum and pray. Then for the next prayer, upon the opinion of rafi'un lil hadath, that it's removed your state of impurity, you can pray the next prayer without having to make another tayammum. Upon the other opinion that it's a temporary measure only, then at the next prayer, it's, it's like fresh again. Now you're supposed to be looking for water again. You still can't find water. So do the tayammum again as another temporary measure for the asr prayer now. So for them it's always temporary. But upon the first opinion, you make tayammum at dhuhr, still no water at asr. You don't have to repeat your tayammum, you're upon wudu. Hmm. Uh, which opinion is more authentic to be? Is it Face first, or first. Face first. That's what the shaykh says, but you, know, you have a difference on that, the narrations do exist. But The sheikh mentioned face first. No, the, the narration is to highlight generally that his ijtihad in that circumstance was a valid ijtihad. It's not an evidence to say that we can do it or an evidence to say that he therefore gets, uh, you know, double like he's done two duhrs in that day, which is impossible. You can't have two duhr in the same day or two asr praising, that's impossible. So it can't be understood in that kind of way. It is simply to highlight to the man your ijtihad in that circumstance was a correct and valid ijtihad. And that's as far as it goes. The the reward and the amount, Allah Ta'ala doesn't specify that. Hmm. Mm -hmm. So now you're in the wilderness again. You're out in the Yorkshire Dales. A mile from here and uh, you can't find any water, not not a mile from here, like we said, that's impossible, you can never be without water in, a, in an urban area. But you're out somewhere in the wilderness, the whole time you can't find any water. <coughs> so you look around, you search about 10-20 minutes, half an hour looking around, looking around, can't find any water anywhere. There's still another hour before Asr comes in though. Should you carry on looking for another 45 minutes at least? Maybe you'll find some somewhere and be able to get the Dhuhr prayer prayed properly with water then. Or should you say, well, Dhuhr time has come in. I've searched left, right, here, there, 10, 20 minutes, no water anywhere. Yes, there's an hour left before Asr time comes, but I'm just going to make 10 a.m. and pray. Uh, there's no water here. Which of the two? What's the fatwa? Make TMM and pray. Tawakkar Allah Bismillah. Pray and then relax. Set your tent up. Anybody else? Alright, so it's a sunnah to pray your prayers on time. Khayrul Amal or Afdul Amal or Salat Ala Waqtiha or Fi Waqtiha, meaning at the beginning of the time. Uh, especially the ones who say it's a hadith, then they have no issue at the dhuhr time you look around where you are in, in your campsite, wherever you are here, there, you look around your area there's no water, you can pray you don't have to say but there's an hour till asr let me carry on walking two miles this way two miles that way, maybe I'll find some water in the next 45 minutes before the dhuhr time ends you don't have to do that where you are, obviously you look around and you make an effort to see if there's any water. If there's nothing available, nothing found, you can pray. It is not a condition you have to keep searching up until the point of no return. It is not a condition you have to keep searching up until the point of no return. The point of no return being that if you carry on searching now any longer, you're going to miss the prayer in its time. Then you've got to pray then. It's not a condition you have to get to that point. us legitimate, grass is, is the normal soil kind of ground and the scholars they say the reason why purification has been made from water and ground, they say perhaps, Allahu a'alam but perhaps they say it is because Allah created mankind from water and ground that Allah created Adam alayhi salam from the soil and now we know our bodies are how much liquid within them liquid and soil, that's what we are and so purification is with liquid or soil, but the grass is perfectly good. That is considered the normal soil ground. Mm. You, know, you know, if someone fell asleep, for example, and you woke up like it's only like two minutes left for salat. Obviously, this is going to make both of us. The time's going to go. So, what should someone do in that situation? If it's like right at the end of salat, or, or does this time start when you wake up? If it's that tight. Uh, Uh, because it's not possible you know the timetables they're only a guideline so you can't judge the absolute timings on the timetables so if the timetable says 27 past 3 or whatever for some particular prayer you can't judge it absolutely down to the second on that timetable so you would make your wudu and just pray and inshallah ta'ala as it mentions man adraka raka'atan Whoever catches at least one raka'ah, your first uh, 'ah, raka'ah, ruku'ah, then it counts, your prayer is within the time.